0: Okay, so this morning, uh, we're going to be in the book of First Peter, so if you guys want to turn there, and we'll get started. So the topic today is on joy, uh, as Pastor Seth already mentioned, and, and he actually, over the summer, as we were going through the discussion of the fruit of the Spirit, um, he, he talked about joy uh, during that, and, and he sought to show how all of us seek after joy, right? It's something that we desire, it's something that we all pursue, we all want to be happy, Right? And, and the idea that those two ideas, we, we try to divide those two ideas together, you know separate them, that there's a difference between happiness and joy, uh, but really they go hand in hand with each other. Um, and, and one of the things that he said in that sermon that I, I thought tied in really well um, with, with the message today is, is he said, if we want to know the abiding joy of walking with God, we're going to have to quit looking for it in the places that we've been looking for it in. We're going to have to quit trying to produce it on our own. We're going to have to quit leaning into something that's incapable of doing in us what only God can do. Right? So we, so we need to, to we look for joy too often, we look for this happiness in, in, in things that don't satisfy. And and we look at that at our at the time, especially during this season, during this Christmas season, uh, joy is, is discussed. Right? It's a common theme. We see it in, we hear it in the songs that we sing. Uh, we see it in the in the movies we watch. We want to see these happy, cheerful movies. Right? The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Right? So we we want to bring that cheer and happiness. And and I think still, even as we read, as we hear some songs and as we, uh, especially as we re- look at some of these movies, uh, we see that they're, they're seeking after joy in things that still are not, one, not going to bring them that true joy. And one example of a movie that I really enjoy um, is The Nightmare Before Christmas. <clears throat> and so the main character in that story, Jack Skellington, right, he's the pumpkin king. He's the lord, the ruler over Halloween town, Right? And, and, and something is happening inside him. He's grown tired of the same routine over and over again. And, and he actually sings a song of lament during that. And, and just listen to some of, the, some of the words that he actually says. And it's, it's really, I mean, it's sad. You see the sorrow in him. He says, Somewhere deep inside of these bones, an emptiness began to grow. There's something out there far from my home, a longing that I've never known. And so he's seeking after something that he, he has this emptiness in him, and, and he wants to fill that with something. And, and all of a sudden, he, he happens to discover Christmas Town, right? And he sees the happiness, the joy, the singing. There's a, the smell of pies in the air, and, and he's, it's just this filling of his heart. And, and he decides, I, wanna, I want that, right? And so he comes up with this plan to kidnap Santa Claus, and then he takes over, and and tries to, to spread his own version of Christmas cheer. Uh, and, and we find out very quickly that nobody likes that. Everything falls apart, right? And then he seeks to, to try to undo everything that he did. And, and he realizes, right, that he was looking for joy. He was looking for happiness in a place that wasn't going to bring him true satisfaction. And I think too often, again, we do that. We, we want happiness and, and we look for it in the wrong places, so as we look in First Peter, uh, we will see that Peter expresses this joy in the one place, the one only true place that we can find joy, and that's the joy in the Lord. So would you read with me First Peter 1, uh, beginning in verse 3? It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead And concerning the salvation, of the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I uh, thank you for opportunity to come and and read your word and and to learn from your word. Lord, I pray that you would use this time uh, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So. As we begin this letter, uh, Peter, after he gets through the introduction, uh, introductory greeting, he, he goes, breaks out into this, this song, this anthem of praise. Uh, it's, a, it's a doxology, or uh, some call it a eulogy, because it starts with the word blessed, which is, uh, in the Greek, it's the same word that we get the word eulogy from. It's, a, it's this blessing to the Lord. Um, and these verses, verses 3 through 12, all 10 verses are actually one long sentence. So it's one long run-on sentence. And it's, it's just showing that, that praise. He, it's filled within him. He's wanting to give this praise to the Lord. He, he, it just starts coming out of him. So it's flowing in, in a single sentence, in these run-on sentences, as he declares the glory of the Lord. And this was a common tradition in, in the uh, Jewish, uh, Jewish customs. Uh, you can see it in, in uh, multiple things, even, even today. Uh, there's uh, a thing called the 18 benedictions. It's the the Shemona Esrei, um, is what it's what they call it. Or uh, even if you, if you've ever um, seen or or done uh, the Passover, uh, they uh, go through the Passover Seder. They uh, they give these praises to God, where they say uh, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu. Right. So they say, blessed is the God. Uh, blessed be our Lord, our God. Right. <clears throat> and so. Peter is using that same idea, that same benediction, that same prayer of blessing, and he's, he's using it instead now to, to give the Christian perspective. It's not just blessed be the Lord our God, but blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? He, he roots it in Christ because it's in Christ uh, that we can have this, this praise to the Lord, and so I think that we can see here, as we read through the rest of this passage, as we look through it, uh, there are three ways that I believe in which we can rejoice in the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. The first thing, in Christ, we can rejoice in our promised salvation. As you look in verse 3, uh, beginning verse uh, 3, it says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So he's caused us to be born again. There's nothing that I can do right? That we did absolutely nothing to be born the first time, right? We can contribute nothing to our own birth. And in the same way, we can contribute nothing to our new birth, right? It is God alone who grants that to us. He gives us this new birth. Uh, I can't help but think that Peter has in mind Uh, The conversation that Jesus had uh, with Nicodemus, if you recall, in in John chapter 3, whenever uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, right? So he's, he's recalling that idea that we must be born again, and the only way that we can be born again is through the regenerating power of the Lord through Jesus Christ, and we see that. Uh, here, that he's caused us to be born again according to his great mercy, right? It's, it's a, a great mercy. It is a free gift of God. And specifically, not even just mercy, right? He says it is great mercy. It's, it's abounding mercy, it could be translated. Um, as, you, as we think through, uh, look at this, thinking through this, that word mercy, uh, is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, mercy, to translate the word hesed. Yeah, James, I had to say hesed at least one time, right? So, <clears throat> so it's, it's that covenant faithfulness, right? This covenant uh, that God has made. And Pastor Seth has been walking us through that, right, as we've gone through this Alpha and Omega series, uh, the, the idea of God covenants with us. And you look in... in uh, Specifically in Exodus 34 6, at a time when, when the Lord is renewing the covenant uh, with the nation of Israel, they're, they're in the wilderness, and Moses is up on, on Mount Sinai with the Lord, and the Lord passes by him. And as he passes by, he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Right? So he's abounding in Hesed. And in the same way, that phrase, that idea of abounding in hesed is used throughout the Old Testament in Numbers 14-18. It's used in Nehemiah nine seventeen, Psalm 86-5, 86-15, Psalm 103-8, Psalm 145-8, Joel two thirteen, Jonah 4-2. So many passages that use not even the idea that God is, is, has hesed, he has covenant faithfulness, but he's abounding in it. And I can't help but think that Peter has those same that same thing in his mind here. He's recalling the covenant that God has made with us. And he is abounding in his mercy. It's great mercy within us. That he's that, the mercy of the Lord, that he's bestowing uh, this salvation upon us. So this salvation, it's a, it's a new birth that he has given to us. And not only that, our salvation is a, is a living hope. Right? He has caused us to be born again. To a living hope. So the focus here is not just on the past. It's not just on this idea of of this regeneration that took place in the past, but but we have a hope now because of that, right? He's, He's focusing on that idea of the future, this hope that we have. It anticipates the culmination of all of the events that are going to take place. And if you recall, a couple of weeks ago, Cooper talked about that when we looked in 1 Thessalonians 5. He talked about that hope that we have. Uh, right, and we celebrate hope uh, during this Advent se- uh, series. All of these ideas, these concepts, tie in together. You can't have joy without hope, right? We c- we have to have they all intertwine with each other. And so we have been born again to this living hope, and it's a living hope, right? It's it's not a a dead hope. Uh, so again, in First Thessalonians. Uh, he talked, Paul talked to, to the people there, and he, he told them he did not want them, you know, he gave this information to them, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. And again, in Ephesians 2, uh, Paul talking to the, to the Ephesians, he said, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So there was once a time, Apart from Christ, we had no hope. It was, it was dead, right? There was no hope, but now it is alive. <clears throat> A couple of examples uh, of the hopelessness that we see in, in, our, in our world. One from the past and one from still the past, kind of relatively new. But um, the story of Oedipus. If you guys have ever heard that story, um, Sophocles, who wrote the the story of the, the tragedy of Oedipus, uh, he reflected on it, and he gave two things that he said: first of all, it is best to have not been born at all, but the second best thing is that we had died in childbirth, like how much hope is there in that? there is no hope right that 's hopelessness and then looking at it's not just in the past, right? We still see that same hopelessness even today. And one example that I, I thought of is, is a song that some of you may have heard by Queen called Bohemian Rhapsody, right? And there are parts in that song that, that seem like it's kind of cheerful. It, it gets upbeat and everything. But as you read through and hear the lyrics, I mean, he says, nothing really matters. And at one point he says, I don't want to die, but I sometimes wish I'd never been born at all. And nothing really matters anyone can see. Nothing really matters to me. That's the hope that the world has. It's a dead hope. But we don't have a dead hope. We have a living hope. Why? Because we have a living Savior, right? It is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's because he has risen from the dead. Our hope is alive because Jesus is alive, right? So it's a present reality in our life. We can live, and we can have that hope because Christ lives, and he lives forevermore. So this salvation is a living hope, and the salvation is also an inheritance. So we've been, uh, caused us to be born again to a living hope, but also in verse 4, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. As you think about the, the people that Peter wrote this letter to, he says it in, in the beginning, in the first verse. He says that he's writing these to the exiles of the dispersion. So these are people who are no longer in their own homeland. So they have effectively lost their inheritance, right? It, because their inheritance, especially in, their, in that culture, was tied to the land, the, the land that they owned, right? And we see that even today. People who are disowned or disinherited from their families because of their Christian faith. We see that around the world. People who have had to leave their home uh, to find refuge in other homes because of their faith in the Lord. And so Peter is pointing out to them that we have something greater. We have an inheritance that is there for us. And it is not only is it... um, Not only is it there, but it's imperishable and undefiled and unfading. You know, I can't, again, I I think that Peter probably is recalling uh, this idea of an inheritance uh, back in Genesis 12. When uh, we talked about this uh, a while ago, as we looked at the Abrahamic covenant. When God gave this covenant to Abraham, and he says, "'Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I'll make of you a great nation.'" I will bless those who bless you, and and those whom dishonor you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And he said to your offspring, I give this land, right? And then Paul, taking that idea of the Abrahamic covenant, uh, shows that really that was ultimately fulfilled in Christ, in Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say offsprings, referring to many, But referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. So it is in Christ that that covenant with Abraham has been fulfilled. And we have that promise of that inheritance that Abraham was promised. We have that in Christ. Because in Galatians 3, uh, further in verses 26, it says, As many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to promise. So we have the same promises that were given to Abraham. We have been given those promises in Christ. He has given us the promise of an inheritance. And that inheritance, again, it's, it's imperishable. It's unfading and it's undefiled. <clears throat> Peter here is using, in the original languages, he used alliteration. It's, it's three words that start with A. Um, I don't know if I can pronounce them exactly. It's Ephdarton, Amianton, and Amaranton. So all of those words, it's, it's this, so he's uh, using it for emphasis. He's emphasizing the fact that it's undecaying, it's immortal, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. So it's, it's never going to go away. Why is it never going to go away? Because it's not here on this earth. It's kept in heaven for you, right? He keeps it in heaven, So that is where our treasure is. That's where our inheritance is. Matthew, Jesus talked about that in the book of Matthew. Do not lay for yourself treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Right? That's where our inheritance lies. Right? That's where we put our faith and put our trust because the Lord is keeping our inheritance in heaven for us. And it's guarded by God's power. In verse 5, it says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. So uh, this idea of it's, it's being guarded by God's power, it's not even just the inheritance itself, but we ourselves are being guarded. <clears throat> right? Because we as heirs in Christ, we have this power uh, within us. The, the, the power of the Lord is here on earth with us in the present. This idea of of guarding, Uh, the picture is that of a fortress or of a military camp. So the believers are inside of this this fortress, right? And outside, there's evil forces all around. Uh, But all along the perimeter is the power of God that's protecting them. And in my mind, I was picturing uh, in the Lord of the Rings, in the two towers, the Battle of Helm's Deep, Um, and... I know a couple weeks ago, I wasn't in here, but I listened to it. Cooper said, I probably could point out the page number exactly where things are at. And I'm not that much of a nerd. Like, I like, I'm, I'm a fan of Lord of the Rings, but I'm not that much of a nerd, okay? So, but as you look at the, the story of Helm's Deep, uh, which you can find in chapter 7, page 514 in the one volume edition, if you're using that one, Um is the story of Helm's Deep, and it's this, this fortress, right? The, this, the land of Rohan. They, they're retreating into this fortress, and the women and the children are, are in these caves, right? And it's being protected by this, this giant fortress, this military camp, and all of the, the, the men and the elves and, and, who, and whoever else is there fighting, um, they're there protecting. But really, it's even beyond that. We have the power of God surrounding us. And if we have not only this camp, but a, the power of the Lord is surrounding it, I mean, that's more than enough, right? That's more than what we need. Because <clears throat> we cannot do it on our own. It is kept for us by God. And it is done not only uh, by God's power, but it says that it's done through faith. So this, this protection comes through our commitment and our trust and faith in the Lord, you see, because faith, faith is not anything that we do on our own, right? It's not anything that we have achieved or accomplished. Faith instead is trust in God, trust in the God who has already achieved it for us, right? It's, it's we trust in the work that he has done, not in anything that we can do. And we're being guarded for what? For a salvation, it says, to be, to be revealed in the last time. So it's going to be revealed in the last time. Uh, That word to be revealed, it's the same word that we get the word revelation. It's apocalypto. Um, It's where it's this anticipation, right, of, of the future events, the culmination of everything that is happening. It's going to be revealed in the last time. That's when it will ultimately be fulfilled. It will be culminated Seth, has talked about this, Seth talked about this last week, right? That we live in this idea of the already, but not yet. So we're living here now. We know that God has attained victory, right? But we are waiting and anticipating the culmination of all of those events when he returns. And we anticipate it with joy, right? That's what he's saying is, is we rejoice in these things, right? So we have a promised salvation, not only do we have a promise of salvation, the second thing I think that we can rejoice in is in our present suffering. Well, how can we rejoice in suffering, right? <clears throat> Maybe that's what you're thinking. But as you read through this, that's what Paul, that's what Peter is saying: is is in this you rejoice, right? It's it's not just a future joy, right? It's a present joy. Right now, we can live joy filled lives not because of anything that we can do on our own, but because of what God has done for us, what God has already done, what he has already fulfilled. So it's, it's a present reality. This joy should be present within us. It's, uh, one author put it this way. It's this rejoice. It's not a continual feeling of hilarity, or, nor a denial of the reality of pain and suffering, but it's an anticipatory joy experienced even now, despite the outward circumstances, because believers know that their sufferings are only for a little while, and their inheritance is sure and eternal, right? Our insure, our inheritance is sure. Our inheritance is eternal. And he says, in this you rejoice, though, now for a little while, if necessary. So it may be just for a short period of time. That's what the Lord is, has has promised us it will be a momentary light affliction. Paul Paul talk, talks about that as well. So they only will last for a little while, but our hope in Christ is eternal, right? So that is the hope that we have. It's eternal, and because of that, we should be filled with joy. We rejoice in that. And and Peter. Peter talks about this throughout the rest of his letter, but he, he closes the book of First Peter, in First Peter 5.10, uh, and he says, After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So we will suffer for a little while, but God, who has called you to his eternal glory... He is the one restoring. He's the one confirming. He's the one that's strengthening us. He's the one that's establishing us. That is the hope we have. And because of that hope, we rejoice, right? We rejoice even now in the midst of those difficulties. So we've been grieved by these trials. What are these trials exactly? Uh, We kind of talked about that already. As you read through 1 Peter, you see that these people were exiles, right? They were people who had... um, The world had abandoned them, essentially, because of their faith. And we see that again. We see people who have been forced to live in exile because the people do not accept the Christian faith. And maybe we personally haven't experienced that. But I think that's something that we can see even now in our culture is, is our society rejects Christianity. And it's becoming more and more clear every single day uh, that, that if you do not bow to the, to the, to the world, then you're going to face difficulties. You're going to face problems and trials in your life. <clears throat> but... This suffering, it says in verse 7, this, these trials that we face, they test and they prove our faith. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, so it's going to prove that our faith is genuine. These trials, these difficulties that we face in life, right? That goes completely against some of the teachings that we may have heard of in the prosperity gospel, right? This idea that, you know, if, we, uh, if we're suffering, then there must be something wrong. We don't have enough faith. We're not praying enough. We're not doing enough work, right? But, but the reality is those who are going through trials, those who are going through difficulties, that actually proves and shows our, the genuineness of our faith. Peter says it again uh, throughout his letter in, in chapter 2. He says, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps." And the suffering is a test to show uh, your faith, right? It shows the faith that you have. Uh, 1 Peter 4, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when glory is revealed, when his glory is revealed. So the tested genuineness of our faith, and it is more precious, this proven faith. It says it's more precious even than gold that's tested by fire. Uh, we know that, that uh, in their society, in, the, in, this, in Peter's time, gold would have been one of the most precious of metals, right? And they, they test it by fire. They would put it in the fire, melt it down, and they would scrape off the impurities to, to, to reveal the, the true pieces of gold, right? And, and it's the same for us, right? It's the same for those who are going through trials. We go through this fiery trial, he said there in, verse, in chapter 4. Uh, and it proves our faith. It, it weeds out all of the impurities and it shows the genuineness of our faith. But we know that even gold will perish. That's what he says more precious than gold that perishes, it's tested by fire. Seth talked about the, the passage in 2 Peter last week, in 2 Peter chapter 3, and there, there will come a day when, when fire, when everything will be washed away with fire. It says in 2 Peter 3, 12, waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So if even the heavens and the heavenly bodies are melting and burning, how much more so will gold? perish in during that time, right? And so there's going to come a day when the world will burn up and including the gold and other precious metals and the heavenly bodies themselves, but the only thing that will remain it says is the tested genuineness of our faith. That is going to continue why? Because it is founded in the Lord, founded in who he is and what he has done. So that it may result to the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this praise and glory and honor, it's, it's the praise and glory and honor that we give to the Lord because he alone is worthy of that glory and praise and honor. And again, it comes when at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it will come during that time, that second advent. That's what we look for. We Again, we focus during this time Christmas and the first advent when Jesus came to earth but we also need to focus as well on that second advent, that idea, that second coming, the revelation of Christ when he completes what he has started and fulfills all of those promises that he's given to us. And our suffering, it grows our relationship to Christ. In verse 8, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not now see him, you believe in him. So even though we have not seen him, Even though we have not seen Christ the way that Peter did, right? Peter had seen, he had been a witness to Christ and saw all of the things that he had done. And the reality is that Peter even struggled with his faith and his love at times, right? He denied Jesus three times. We know that story. And then in John chapter 21, three times Jesus came to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Right? So we know that Peter, even seeing Christ, struggles with love and and Peter here in this in this letter that he's writing is, is even though you have not seen him you love him and even though you haven't seen him you are believing in him um we see that in John chapter 20 uh, the promises uh, that Jesus gave when whenever he appeared before the disciples and and Thomas you know he's doubting it and he's like I I, I got to see those holes. I'm going to put my fingers in those holes before I believe that Jesus really is alive again. And then he sees him, and then he says, my Lord and my God, right? He's, he's glorifying God, but Jesus said, he said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's, that's, those are the people that Peter is talking to here is, is there are those who have not seen him but believe and trust in him. And we uh, rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, <clears throat> right? Again, it's, it's not just this anticipation of, of a future joy, but it's a joy that we can presently have. We can presently have even in the midst of these difficulties in life. It's inexpressible. In other words, it's, it's unspeakable. It's it's this idea of having such an overwhelming joy that we can't even put it into words. Uh, that's the kind of joy that we should have, is even in the midst of difficulties, of the difficult circumstances in our life, we should be filled with joy, and a joy that is so overflowing within us that we can't even describe it. So our focus is on Christ, right? Our focus is on Him and not the circumstances around us. And when we focus on Him, when we focus on who He is and what He has done, then we can have that joy. And we know that our our suffering, it's temporary. It proves our faith, it grows our relationship, and then it ultimately, again, it results in our future salvation, right? We obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, So as we love and serve our coming Christ, we receive the ultimate goal of our faith, which is the the prize, the reward of faith is salvation, that he will bring us salvation. So that is the hope that we have. So we have a hope and we can rejoice in our promised salvation and we can rejoice in our present sufferings. And then finally, in Christ, we can rejoice in our privileged standing. Beginning in verse ten, our our standing was witnessed by the prophets. It says concerning concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours uh, searched and inquired carefully. So here we see Peter again; he's drawing a connection uh, from the Old Testament prophets uh, to what was then realized in the life of Christ on earth and, and the subsequent uh, preachers uh, that followed that. So <clears throat> the Christians to whom Peter writes are not to understand themselves as practitioners of another new religion in the world founded on a person uh, of Jesus of Nazareth, but instead they are being privileged with the knowledge of the gospel that fulfills God's mysterious plan as revealed to the prophets of the Old Testament and brings them into continuity with what God has already been doing through ancient Israel. So the, the prophets here, it's, he's bringing this idea that, that the things that the prophets were teaching, the things that they were searching for and understanding, those found their ultimate fulfillment here at that moment when Christ came. Whenever he came on earth and he suffered and he died and then he faced these, these future glories, right? He's, so we're, we're in a privileged position, as one, one author put it this way. Uh, he said, Peter stresses that far from being underprivileged, Christians have received special favor from God. The prophets spoke indeed of grace, of salvation, but the deliverance prophesied did not belong to them, but to the Christians reading this letter. However, Uh, However much these readers may be suffering, they stand in a position that even the greater of the ancient prophets did not have. So we are in an even better position, a more privileged position than those prophets that we read and we look at in the Old Testament because they were looking forward to something that they did not fully understand and they were inquiring into it, they were searching for it, they were looking for it, but they did not ever see the fulfillment of that, whereas we are in a privileged position because we have experienced it, right? We saw the people during this time, Peter and the disciples and the apostles at that time, they saw it, they witnessed it. They saw the sufferings of Jesus and the subsequent glories. And in the same way, we now can look back and we see what the Lord has done, how he came on this earth and died for us and so that we can receive this, these blessings, this blessing of, of faith and hope. <clears throat> so we're in a privileged position. So they, again, it says in, in verse 11, they were inquiring into what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. So again, they were seeking after the, the person and the time that these things would be fulfilled. And as you read through the Old Testament prophets, uh, you see that they, they weren't necessarily concerned with who the Messiah was, necessarily the, the specific person of Him, but their focus was instead on, on the timing of it. They wanted to know when these things were going to take place and, and what were the circumstances surrounding those things, the, the fulfillment of God's promise. That's what they were looking for in the revealed uh, Messiah. And we, we see here uh, that it was the Spirit of Christ that was in them, right? So it was the Holy Spirit. Working in them, giving witness to who Christ is—it's the Spirit of Christ uh, giving witness and showing this thing to the prophets when He predicted the sufferings and the subsequent glories. So we look back and we see that Christ must first suffer, right? And Peter knew that all too well, right? He he saw Christ, he walked with Him, and he even declared Him. He was the first person we read in the first of His followers that we read in scriptures that declare him as the Messiah, right? He says, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then, and then Jesus turns right after that and talks about what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. And three days later, I'm going to be risen from the dead. And what does Peter do when he hears that? He calls Jesus aside, and he's like, now, let me tell you, that, that's not right. That's not what's going to happen, <laughs> right? Can you imagine that, to, to go to Jesus and say, no, you're wrong. <laughs> so, but, I mean, we do that, though, right? I mean, we, we do the same thing when we, quest, when we question God's goodness. But um, anyways, Jesus, uh, Peter, learned after that right he learned after that no this is how it must happen that that he must first suffer and after the suffering then comes the subsequent glories <clears throat> paul talked about that in philippians as well philippians 2 talks about when jesus came to the earth it says being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he knew that, that Jesus must come and first suffer and then there will come a time when he will receive these subsequent glories that God has highly exalted him and bestowed a name that is greater than every other name. So that we would all bow to him. And in the same way, believers now will experience that same suffering, right? We are going to have to do the same thing. We are going to suffer. And then we will receive the subsequent glories. Those who are in Christ. We follow the same pattern that Jesus did. Because we are called to be like Christ. So if Christ suffered then why would we think anything different of our own life? Why would we expect anything different? We will receive suffering. We will find pain, trials, and difficulties in this life. But we have this promise that God will bring subsequent glories to us for those who trust in him, that believe in him, in his plan, that have that faith and belief in what he has done, not in anything that we can do. Not in anything that I can do of my own, but only in what God can do uh, for us. <clears throat> and then he says, uh, beyond that, right? It says, it was, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Can you consider that? That, that is what the prophet's learned is that they did all of this research, this inquiries, these studies to know when the Messiah would come. And they learned in their studies that they were not serving really themselves in their own time, but they were serving a future time that would come. They were serving us. Can you imagine? That is a privileged position, right? That is, that is where we are. That should bring us joy, right? To know that even the prophets of old were looking forward to the culmination of God's work and God's plan right here. And we experience that on a daily basis. Are we thankful for that? Are we, are we filled with joy for that? And these things have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So you think about that. It's, it was the prophets... They prophesied these things, and then now he says that these evangelists, they're those who are, who preached the good news to you. So the prophets prophesied these things, and now they're evangelists who are preaching these things to you. And then the Spirit revealed them, right? It was the Spirit of Christ that revealed it to the prophets, and now he says it is the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So it's the same Holy Spirit working in the prophets of old that's working in our lives now that's... that's Bringing this good news, the gospel, to us, and then it was the prophets were inquiring about the sufferings and the glories of Messiah. And now we see that it's not even just the prophets, but we look at this and we see that it's even the angels are looking into this. They are looking into the sufferings and the subsequent glories. So our standing is not only being wit- has been witnessed by the prophets of old, but our standing is being witnessed now, even by the angels at the last part of verse 12. Things into which angels long to look. What are these things? These things are going back again to that idea of of the the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So the predictions of the suffering Messiah and the glories were of great interest to the prophets, but not only were they of great interest to the prophets, but even angels are looking at that with anticipation. They are longing to look for it. It's this it's. It's not even. They're just mildly interested in it. It's. They're. They are deeply interested. They're longing. They are seeking to understand this. What is going on? What is God's plan? How is He fulfilling this plan? Um, we see uh, throughout Scripture, uh, Old Testament or the New Testament. There's not a lot of discussion of angels, uh, but we do see, for example, in Luke 15. Uh, it says that all of heaven rejoices over the sinner that comes to repentance, right? So we know that angels are paying attention to things that are happening on the earth. And if you read through any uh, of the like Jewish apocalyptic literature, um, you can see that, that they... they talk about this idea of, of angels. Uh, First Enoch, uh, for example, talks about the archangels Michael and Gabriel, and they're observing the things that are happening on the earth. So, so we see uh, throughout scriptures and throughout some other um, extra-biblical writings that um, this idea of angels are very interested in the things that are happening on this earth. And in the same way, here, Angels are longing to look. They're paying attention to these things. It's, it's Again, it's not an idle curiosity. It's not just, hey, I wonder what that is. No, it's, it's their longing to see the fulfillment of God's plan. They want to see God's plan and his promises being fulfilled. And they're longing to see that revelation. Uh, one commentator uh, said it this way. Um, the point is that the sufferings and glories of Christ that have been preached to Peter's readers... Not only were the subject of the prophets' attention, but are even the center of the angels' interest. He shows his readers who were suffering a loss of status in their society because of Christ, that in fact they were more privileged in their perspective of redemptive history than they could have known. More privileged than either the great prophets of old or the angels above. This provides further motivation for joy. Even in the midst of suffering, the question is: Do we have that joy? Do we recognize? Do we recognize that we are in an even better position—not only a better position than the prophets of, of old, but we're in a better position than the angels? Do, do we recognize that, and do we feel that joy within us because of that? We know that the gospel is of great value, right? It's—it's it's how much more. Thankful should we be that we are recipients of that message. <clears throat> so think about that. In Christ, we have been promised salvation. So the salvation is a, is a new birth given by God in his mercy, in his covenant faithfulness, right? And in this salvation, we have a living hope as well as an inheritance that's guarded by the power of God. So the question to you as a believer Believers, are you, are you rejoicing in the promise of salvation? Do you recognize the goodness and the mercy of God in your life? And are you thankful for that? But not only are you thankful for that, do you rejoice in that? Are, are we so thankful that we're, it's inexpressible? We can't even fathom how to describe that joy in us. Do we feel that? And in Christ, uh, we can rejoice in our present suffering because we know that that is only temporary. It's a light, momentary affliction, and it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, Paul says. That's beyond all comparison. So believers, are you trusting in this? Do you rejoice even in the midst of your difficult circumstances, the, the trials that we face in life? Are we thankful for them, and are we rejoicing in them? Do you realize that Christ suffered first, so we must suffer as well? And then in Christ, we are in a privileged standing. So we see that the prophets longed for a day when Messiah would come and fulfill his promises, and they saw the unfolding of God's plan in their day, and knew that it wasn't just really for their benefit, but it's for ours. It's for all of us. It's for our benefit this unfolding of God's plan. So do you recognize that? Do you see the privileged position that you are in? Do you find joy in that? Do you find joy in Christ, in our position in Christ? And as we long for that day when he returns, let's just not look with sorrow, right? We don't look with sorrow at the day he returns, but we we look with joy, Joy that he has fulfilled his plan and joy that he will continue to fulfill that plan until he returns at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.